dark and stormy night, crafties. The kind of night that makes you question everything. The kind of night which makes you lie in your bed and think, what kind of person am I? Lightning was lancing across the sky. Thunder was breaking up the heavens. Flashes of black and white everywhere. And next thing we knew, Covert Go Blue went dark. One moment, content streaming into the ether. Streak, 24-7. And next, nothing. However, today, the Arjuna Man and the CGB have gone to great lengths, and we have discovered the hiding place. We've discovered, we've, we've brought him up from the underground. Kovac Go Blue, are you still alive, man? I am. Do you recognize my voice coming through a this thing, this ancient device known to some as the phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's some 20th century technology right there, CG. I am calling into my own show. It's a humbling experience. And the Red Mages gave it their best shot. They cast God knows how many lightning bolts, but I'm still here. He's still kicking. His life gain is online. And so is his voice. And CGB, I'm stoked to have you with us today because we are going to do a deep dive in what is, I believe, your favorite format at the moment, Standard 2022. This is where, like, really getting a sense of what's going on with this format. And it's also giving us a really good forecast for what the next Standard format is going to look like. And I think that we've got enough reps under our belt that we can start to make some conjecture about what's going to be good. So... Yeah, really, really stoked to jump into that. First of all, CGB, how has your week been, man? <laughs> Thanks for asking. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, everything was going great. Had a really awesome stream on Tuesday where I literally thought my YouTube channel got deleted and we researched that bug on air in front of everybody. My videos were just gone. What was that all about? Don't know, but fixed it. Okay. Found the solution. Okay. It was a glitch. And uh, my beautiful community and I solved the issue before Gordon Ramsay's official YouTube channel did. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> glad glad uh, to hear yeah, that. I haven't checked on Gordo in a bit. I hope he got his YouTube videos back up, but we got ours back. So that was nice. But then that night uh, we go to Team Degenerate Gaming. My wife and I are both a member of MTG Nerd Girls' new esports endeavor, Degenerate Gaming. Dude. Yeah. Which, by the way, is awesome. It is. I, I'm, I don't want to put too many words in her mouth, but the idea is like it's a, it's an esports team focused around community and focused on sponsors and sponsorships that make sense for the Magic the Gathering space. And she's doing a great job. So I'm really excited about doing it. And we were doing our first stream team community night or our second one, actually. And we were playing Don't Starve. And then the power just goes out. It's gone. My wife and I are erased from the Don't Starve universe. So I'm going to try to do the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> this is really hard. We, we found out the next day that we weren't supposed to get power back until Friday. And this was like a Wednesday morning. So it's like, well, that's not going to do. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. Yeah. These videos got to get made. So packed up the whole office setup and drove like two hours south to a town called Gladwin. Went into the in-law's summer cottage basement and set up down there. One of the monitors did not survive. An Alienware $350 monitor was shattered in this cross-country trip. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. And then we got a message. This was, I think, was it Friday morning or sometime Thursday? We got a message that power had been restored. So it's like, great, pack everything back up, head back up, get home. Now, when we left, there was a tree that had fallen on the power line next to our house. So I called and reported. When we got back, the tree was gone, but the power lines were lying on the ground and the power was on. That, Whoa. that that's not okay. Okay. <laughs> like serious. Like okay, in front of my cool. house, there are live power lines on the ground and in the trees. On the ground. Yeah. Just waiting for some beaver to come yep. along and freaking chew them up. Yep. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So I call power company and report that. Cause I think I should. Makes sense, right? You would you would do this too. This is the play, right? Yeah. Didn't hear anything back from them. So the next day, it's still like that. So I tweet at Consumers Energy, something I've never done before, angry tweeted. Not a big deal. And I didn't even say that in the public tweet. I said that in the private message because I didn't want like their stuff to blow up. So I get a message at like eight in the morning that our service person came out. So I get up, I head outside. The power lines are back up on the poles. 
there are four lines, okay? Three of them I assume do energy things, and one I am to find out from this experience is the cable and the internet. The three lines are back up on the pole. So somebody came out, put them back up. The cable internet line has been cut in half and left rolled up on the side of the road with a note attached to it that says call cable. Call cable. (laughs) Oh, my God. So now I have power but no internet, which is like, wait, which of these things is even more important anymore? (laughs) Yeah, that is something. And I'm told I won't be visited by the cable company until Wednesday. And it is currently Saturday, and I don't have enough stuff recorded to get that far. So I'm I'm back to like, do I have to go back to in-law basement dojo, rent a room at a library? Oh, my God. It's a nightmare. So what you're telling me is that you came home to find a trail of crumbs in play, but no food tokens. I mean, if is that really the saddest <laughs> analogy you could come up with in magic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding three deadly disputes and I've got no artifacts or creatures, bro. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Brutal. Sad. Brutal. I got three Temple of Dragon Queens and no dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it is always the times of greatest duress in which we find our resourcefulness, right? And so that's exactly what you're doing. CGB has like literally driven like half an hour to get set up to record this show. And so you're killing it, man. <laughs> you know, I and Will. Unstoppable. Just one more thing about that. I went to the library to use their internet, but they're closing. They just closed. So I am on a picnic table outside the library using the internet, calling and doing the show because, <laughs> because, uh, Arjun, I love you, man. That's the only reason. Dude, it's the only reason. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it today. Sometimes you gotta crawl in the mud for a couple miles to prove to someone that you love them. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that, CGB. Nice. So I love you too, man. I'm also excited to talk about Standard 2022 because we don't have anything new and historic or historic brawl to talk about because they were just like, not today. Wizards was like, nope, we're not doing that this week either. Not today, suckers. And yeah, I think like, I'm sure that there are things that we could discuss related to like 100 card historic brawl and, you know, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms and blah, 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 blah. But honestly, I, I don't know, like how much of that format have you been playing this last week cgb like have you been on it or are you still on standard i mean i've only played standard 2022 for what seems like about a month now historic brawl it's like there's gonna be new cards that is the thing right you're excited that it's back but do we want to play it with when we know there's going to be new cards in two weeks not as much and that's it and to be honest like standard 2022 like thank god for this format you know Mm-hmm. It really has saved magic for the last month or so for me because it is really fun. It is. It is. So, yes, I am stoked. And I feel like we've had people just kind of curious about like, you know, we've kind of hinted here and there. I had like a 10 minute conversation or whatever, but I feel like it's just really time to like get into it. You know what I mean? I want to get into the nitty gritty of this format, like brewing for it. You know, the thought processes, like some of our deeper thoughts on the matter, not just to help people survive in this particular format, but again, to just like give people some of the more foundational concepts that they can take forward to improve their own game. And I actually, um, I wanted to read a lightning round question related to this, which I think will, you know, just kind of get us into whoa, this a little whoa, bit. Whoa, more. whoa, 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 whoa. Does it have to be called lightning round? I have a, I have some uh, PTSD. <laughs> I'm getting, PTSD. getting triggered here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll call it shock. How about that? Not helpful either. <laughs> All right. <laughs> go on, go on. So here's, here's the question. Hank Sandwich asks, I reckon you guys have already got this plan, but once the 2022 meta is more clearly defined, could we get some deep deck text discussing optimal play patterns, the way the deck can interact with other popular decks, etc.? And I guess by extension, you'd learn how to exploit the deck's weaknesses when matched against it. Or is it better to wait until September rolls around and we've got the full set? Not sure if it's fit for the podcast or maybe CGB's channel, etc. So yes, Hank Sandwich is an excellent question, and this is exactly what we're going to dive into today. All right, Kovac Go Blue. Mm-hmm. I I want to like I want to just give like a quick overview of of what I've been doing in the format, and then we can get an update from what you've been doing in the format, and then we can dive in. So I've been back on my Simic, and 
Dude, like, I was worried that this deck was going to be outmoded in the format. I've been crushing with it. I think probably like 65% win rate. I thought that these Ozov decks were going to be the bane of my existence. I've been crushing them. I think that this deck is real. I actually think that it's one of the pillars of the format. And I think that people are sleeping on it at their peril. And I don't often come out and say that, like, this deck is really good People aren't playing it. They should be playing it. But I, I'm staking my reputation on this. I think that this deck is real. And I think that if people aren't playing it or are not prepared for it, I think that they are losing equity. To be your hype, bro, for a moment, the last two times you did this were Teamer Adventures post the Uro ban, I think, or, or maybe right before the Uro ban and Saltai Ultimatum right after Kaldheim was released. So the last two times you've been like, pay attention to this, you've been very right. I appreciate that, CGB. I very much do. Now, again, I think that it is good to note that as Hank Sandwich mentioned in that question, all of this could end up being invalidated by Midnight Hunt. So this is kind of like, you know, this is what we know now. It could be possible that like a new cycle of lands combined with like some very, very powerful creatures, perhaps, or whatever, like, you know, this set, I'm really hoping that this is not going to be the next Eldraine. So let's go on record for saying that I'm a little worried about that. So if this set ends up being more of an Eldraine than say like a Zendikar Rising or a Kaldheim or an Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, then it could be very, very different. But as the meta currently stands, yes, I do think that Simic Ramp is a real archetype and a pillar of the format. What does it do that puts it there, in your opinion? Like, what does it have over the format? Okay, so one of the things it has is that you just get to play more powerful 7-drop cards than any other deck in the format. And they actually make sense in your deck. So let's talk about Cyclone Summoner, which is a really key part of this deck. This card was basically a total meme in regular standard. And that's just because it's like, cute summoner, bro. I have Embercleave, I have Ultimatum, I have Rogues. Like, none of these decks give basically a flying flip about Cyclone Summoner. Cyclone Summoner is really, I would call it like, it's powerful in the traditional sense of what that meant in Magic, where like, it's a big creature that has a big effect when it enters the battlefield. But that's basically not mattered. In modern standard, we've just had more powerful things to be doing, basically. But in a powered down format like standard 2022, the ability to just reset the board can be totally game changing. One of the things you might miss about the asymmetricality of this effect is that, okay, if you have seven mana and your opponent has seven mana and you cast one of these... Okay, it's kind of big. You start with a 7-7, they need to rebuild their board, whatever, okay? But I think that what a lot of people don't anticipate is that you might, like, put two extra lands into play in your first handful of turns, and especially, like, if you're on the play, you might drop Cyclone Summoner and your opponent only has three or four lands, right? And so they're left in this position where, like, next turn you're going to untap with seven or eight lands, and they have to take their turn and either try to deal with your giant or start to get some stuff back on the board. And so when you untap with all of your lands, you have all of that mana to interact with their stuff or to cast an Auron's Epiphany or even to just leave up something like uh, Divide by Zero so that for their next turn, you have interaction, they can't deal with your giant, whatever. So I think that that's something that needs to be really emphasized about this deck is that not only does your giant come down and create board advantage for you, but it also gives you a way to ideally leverage your mana advantage as well. And it can just create this like snowballing train of like every turn you're getting to spend more mana and every turn you're basically just like now the game's on your terms instead of on your opponent's terms. That's kind of like the big bowling ball play of the deck. Um, a few other things to note about Cyclone Summoner is that one of the very effective combos of the deck that I've found is just copying it with Glass Pool Mimic. <laughs> that, that, my friends, gives you a three-mana Cyclone Summoner. Yeah, that's super gas. Another thing to note with Glass Pool Mimic is that if you've copied another creature 
like let's say a Quandrix Cultivator early in the game, which is also an amazing play, by the way. Spend three mana, get a three for get another land. But you can bounce it back to your hand with Cyclone Summoner and then copy Cyclone Summoner again. And of course, each Cyclone Summoner that you cast doesn't bounce the previous ones that you cast. And so you can generate these like turns where you just chain them into each other and dome your opponent for seven, 14, and the game usually ends very quickly. So that's one of the big headliner plays of the deck. But then you, you also just get to play like four copies of Alrin's Epiphany, you get to play a couple of copies of Coma Cosmos Serpent. In basically a janky format, a terrible card like Coma can actually be pretty good. Oh my god, you won't... <laughs> you just can't. You just can't <laughs> like the card. It, it's pathetic. You're, you're out here mopping floors with it and you don't like it. You know, Kovac Go Blue, I've lost enough games after resolving Coma in this format to have respect for how bad that card can still be. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. But yes, it can actually do some things in the right board state. It's a seven drop. It's a powerful card. We all know it. Arjuna has a vendetta against the card, but I've been unironically playing it in this deck and it is very good. Also, the combination with the innkeeper is really amazing. So you can basically like gain, depending on how many innkeepers you have, you basically gain one or two life a turn with Coma in play. So there's a lot of really nice little synergies like that. The Innkeeper also lines up very, very well with Alrin's Epiphany. And so oftentimes with this deck, you're gaining like five to 10 life over the course of the game, and it can really change the flow against aggro. Uh, and so one of the things I've been learning to do with this deck is to not block with my innkeeper early in the game. Like someone might offer you a really juicy looking trade. They swing with their Usher of the Fallen or something like that. And you're like, oh, I could just block that with my innkeeper. Sometimes I do. But if I look at my hand and I have like an Asika's Chariot or like a couple of Alrin's Epiphanies coming up, I might opt not to do that, especially if I'm going to have like a Quandrix Cultivator or like a better blocker next turn. So one of the things I've learned to do with this deck is to try to preserve my innkeeper and often in the mid to late game, they're going to end up gaining me like 6 to 10 life. This is kind of an overview of how this deck plays out. Another thing that I think can maybe fly under the radar is that you get to play what are essentially two of the best creature lands in the format for this deck specifically. Because again, Hall of the Frost Giants gets so much better when you have a lot of mana, right? So in the late game, when you have like 10 or 12 lands out, you can actually attack with the Hall and leave up Interaction. Um, same thing with the Lair of the Hydra. It's just, you know, in a lot of decks, like in Mono Green, it's fine. It's a 4-4, four, four, or maybe in the late game, it's a 5-5 five, five, or a 6-6. Six, six. In this deck, it's it can be like a 10-10, ten, ten, you know, like the sky's the limit on that card. And so I think that you also get to play what end up being the most powerful and impactful creature lands in the format because you have the mana to power them out so quickly. Um, final note about the deck, Divide by Zero is just an amazing magic card. Now, CGB, you were really at the forefront of playing this card, I remember. I remember you playing this card before I saw anyone else playing it, like, seriously, unironically. And this card is amazing. Like, it is truly amazing. Like, I have learned the hard way that you can get your Coma the Cosmos Serpent put back in your hand when you're casting it by Divide by Zero. So, you know, you get to a point where, like, your it Dragon's opponent, like, you know, they have their stuff foretold, and you're like, all right, I'm going to slam this coma, and the game is over. And then they just divide by zero, untap, Alrin's Epiphany, Goldspan Dragon, you're dead, you know? So this card is just unbelievably amazing in this particular deck. Few examples of why it's good. In the Ozov matchup, for example, uh, oftentimes one of the things that Ozov is trying to do is to get you into this position where you're committed to the board and then they get to slam a blood on the snow and like reset the board and get back a planeswalker and kind of snowball advantage from there. One of the sweet things that you can do in this deck is that you tend to be building a mana advantage over the game. And so you can get to a spot where you have a board, which is quite threatening. But then you also have a divide by zero up. And when your opponent taps out for their blood on the snow, you get to just nope it, untap, crush them again. If you have another one, it's usually game over. It's also great against cards like Alrin's Epiphany, or even, you know, if your opponent fetches Mascot Exhibition from the sideboard. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes the tempo hit of just putting that back in their hand and basically taking their whole turn and then untapping and just getting in with your creature lands or whatever you have on the board again is just too much. And then, of course, you have the back door of dividing 
using your own threats back to your hand, whether it's to protect your coma from a soul shatter or whether it's to reset your giant. Maybe you just need another, like, bounce everything with one of your cyclone summoners. You just bring that one back to your hand. So I just think that one of the things I like about this deck is that there's more inherent synergy among the powerful cards in the deck than you often see. Like, people will obviously play Divide by Zero just because it's a good card. They'll play Alrun's Epiphany. It's just a good card. It's just the best thing to be doing at that point in the game. But this deck actually, like, it really heavily leverages a lot of these synergies to get to that next level. Yeah, it's definitely a powerful deck. And you think it's like if you had a tier one, you'd tier one it for sure? I think it's either tier one or tier 1.5. Yep, I do. Are, are you willing to step back from this deck into more meta for a second? Yes, definitely. So I got to have my little moment. I will hand it over to you and let you talk about what you're seeing. Yep. What I wanted to do was just kind of table some decks and talk about like if we had to just tear them off the top of our head where would we put them yeah you know some of the more played decks in the meta yeah all right first deck mono white are you, are you asking me to rate it yeah I- i'm wondering where would you place code spell cleric and friends <laughs> okay so in my opinion it entirely depends on the build I think, no shade on you, CGB, but I think that your first draft, that was like your week one mono white deck in the meta, I think is currently probably tier two. I think that if you update the list to take into account some of the things that are happening in the meta game, I think that you can probably get the deck up to like 1.5. I don't think mono white's a tier one deck, though. It's what I'm seeing the most by a lot, and it's the most grown if you're just on the draw and they play like five things on turn three and it's just over yep (laughs) (laughs) it can basically take in the mantle from mono red yeah is the way that i think yeah and mono red was always overrepresented Mm -hmm. in best of one and always like overhyped there were times when it was a tier one deck but it hasn't been for a while it hasn't gotten any substantial new cards in a while yeah mono white is just that or you know i started calling it white trash in my videos (laughs) 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 you're not wrong (laughs) so yeah i'm kind of mad at it because like basically everybody who doesn't want to work for wins grabbed this because a certain number of times a day they'll get to go first and just win it's it's like zero effort (laughs) well you're right and it's also just like the two head deck right like it's the deck where you can just play out your cards and not really think about it and then either you win or you lose of course you know like better players are not going to do that they're going to take more time and make good plays and probably have a higher win percentage but if you're one of those people who just wants to click buttons and drag cards onto yeah. the battlefield and select you know attack all and stuff it's it's a good deck yeah it's worth mentioning that at various points in our life like if there's something on the tv and we're playing on our iphone or we're just trying to get a game in while we're waiting for our food somewhere it's like okay i get it you just you got a yeah. mono white but at the same time on the other side of the table that anonymous person that you're just clowning because you got draw we're like it's so stupid this is just so dumb why does this have to be this way (laughs) (laughs) so indeed i i feel the same way i think it's a tier two deck let's go to another one so we've had some time with one of your original babies here it's still around it's the deck i have the worst win percentage against overall on my account for standard 2022 it is mono green mono green what is mono green in this format Okay, I like that you asked that specific question, because one of the things that I think makes this format sweet is that Mono Green itself is not a solved deck list, right? I still see many variations of this deck. I still see like some people running Frog Hemoth. I still see various numbers of Gnarly Professors. Some people are doing the um, Ooze that adds counters to your creatures. It, let's call it the ooze. I don't have this one. I usually know these things. I don't have this. I know. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to have that one on memory, but I don't. But anyway, it's the 2-2 two, two that puts a counter on stuff, and then when it attacks, it puts counters on things that have counters. Oh, that's the Orin Reef ooze. I got that one. Orin Reef ooze. Yeah. Okay, well done. Well done. And then some people are even playing the new ooze from AFR, uh, Oka Jelly. Okay, you've got that one. We we did it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, a lot of people, like, there's differences in opinion about which interaction you run. Some various examples are Snakeskin Veil. Also, I think the, um, what is it? The Abundance. Inscription of Abundance. Inscription of Abundance, I think, is one of the most interesting cards for Mono Green in the format, because I think that card is very good. I think the question is, how many do you run and how well do they synergize with your deck? And then, of course, you know, 
know, you have some people who are still running like Jaspira Sentinel on the list. You have other people like me who think that that's a waste of time. So one of the coolest things about the format is I think that Mono Green is really not a single deck. There are very many different builds of the deck. Oh, I agree with you completely. In particular, the version that drives me crazy because I I still enjoy playing all things shambling ghast eye twitch deadly dispute treasure stuff like i have found every and i keep exploring and finding more ways to play that shell because i love it so much but there's a version of mono green that i come up against at least once a day and it always just drives me crazy because they're running like all the gnarly professors they're running all the frog hemoths they're running vorinclex and they're running like four snakeskin veils and it it's like oh my god everything tramples and is huge and i just can't jump it and i can't kill it <laughs> it's so much you know what annoys me about that cgb is that you know they're still running 23 lands well. uh, maybe yeah 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 of course <laughs> of course that that is if i did find that out it would tilt me that then it must be true yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yep, perfect foil to like trying to gum up the board with, you know, Professor of Symbology and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, so. perfect foil to that deck. I will say, when I think about Mono Green, it's not the fastest. You know, you can build the white decks and the goblin decks to go lower. So it almost is yeah. like mid-range aggro and its size plays into that, right? Because if you're on the draw, you don't just lose because your opponent got to play the first creature. Your creatures can be bigger than theirs just on rate. And Old Growth Troll also yeah. plays into that great because if they kill it, you ramp and you just get to do more with your mana ahead of them. So it's kind of a mid-range aggro deck. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, that sounds like what your ramp deck wants to feast upon. Like, it sounds like Simic yes. Ramp just loves that matchup. Yes. So, okay, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because what I was going to say is that I think Mono Green is Tier 1. And I think that one of the reasons it's tier one, and this is what you should look out for, crafties, in a deck which is truly going to be a player in any meta, is does it still manage to have a good win percentage against the decks that are best against it? And the answer with mono green is yes. So I basically adopted and filled out my version of this Simic Ramp deck to be very good against Mono Green, and I still only have a 60% win rate against it. This is after, like, so many matches. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just so many matches. And the reason for that is that, yep, Mono Green, just a good deck, can still catch you with your pants down, can still you stumble at all, you flood out for one turn, you miss a land drop, Mono Green can just still crush you. So yes, I definitely, like, I think that a deck like the Simic Ramp deck is probably the best way to beat it, and I'm still happy when I see that turn one Jasper Sentinel or whatever. It's like, okay, this is going to be a good matchup, but I still lose to it every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a very powerful deck. It just asks really tough questions every turn. Almost no matter what build it is, it's hard to prepare for because you don't know if they run Snakeskin Veil. You don't know if they run Frog Hemoth. You really can't play around all the potential threats of it, so you just have to gamble. Mono Green has weaknesses to Blood on the Snow. It has weaknesses to Cyclone Summoner, but sometimes you just don't get there. But I still agree. It's the, in, in my opinion, it's like, it should be the go-to tier one option for the format if you're not sure what to play or where to start because I don't think it will be bad after rotation. I think that this green deck, even if it gained almost nothing from Innistrad, would probably still win games. We haven't seen Innistrad. It's such a thing to say right now. Will it be an Eldraine? Will it be an Adventures in the Forgotten Realms? Will it be a Strixhaven? If it's an Eldraine, obviously that's a really dumb thing that I just said. But I just think that's so (laughs) unlikely. Just looking at the cards that they've revealed and the direction that things are going, I don't think it's going to be an Eldraine. I think it's going to be another Strixhaven, another... You know, Kaldheim was actually really powerful. We just don't really realize it. It was. But if it's on Kaldheim's power level, I think that you could get into green now and still win games in October. I totally agree. I totally agree. Do you want to know my favorite adaptation that I've seen lately, CGB, and something I would definitely be trying? No, I don't want to hear it. Don't even tell me about cool stuff like that. (laughs) Okay, go on. Okay, crafties, crafties, this is sweet. People have been playing Jon Snow. Oh, I have seen this. Yes, it is gas. It is freaking gas. So, okay, 
Here was the problem with Jon Snow. Easy to kill, just a 3-3. Didn't line up well against cards like Lovestruck Beast. There were also even just like Bone Crusher Giants and stuff in regular standard. And so it was just you didn't have like a reasonable assurance that you were going to A, untap with it, and B, get it through. This format solves a lot of those problems because first of all, you know, there isn't like a ton of removal in the form of, oh, I don't know, Eliminate or Heartless Act to get rid of it. So people in this format have to kind of, you know, they have to have a real kill spell, which is just a little bit less likely than it would be in regular standard. Another thing is that in a format where cards like Snakeskin Veil are already good and they're already working in your archetype, it just you know, it's a perfect fit for that card. One of the most devastating play patterns that I've seen is something like maybe you like on turn three, you play an old growth troll. And then on turn four, you play a Jon Snow with Snakeskin Veil backup. And then the following turn, it's like, you know, you can play uh, Blizzard Brawl targeting your Jon Snow, kill one of their blockers. Now Jon's indestructible. Now there's almost no way it's not going to survive combat. You swing in, you untap, you play your Seeker's Chariot or whatever as a follow-up, and it's just such a powerful sequence. And then, of course, you know, yeah, if, if you're playing like Inscription of Abundance and all that kind of stuff, these are just all things, or even uh, Ranger class, perfect example. If you curve Ranger class into Jon Snow and they don't immediately kill Jon Snow, now it's attacking as a 4-4 the following turn. So these are all things that make the weaknesses of John kind of non-existent. I think one of my favorite play patterns with John is you can go activate Faceless Haven, get in, untap the lands you use to activate it and go from there. So anyway, yeah, I think John for me is going to be an auto include in this archetype moving forward. Maybe just a one of. Definitely don't want to double up on those. That's a heck of an introduction to your one of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes the one of is the over the top rope move, you know? Did Macho Man Randy Savage need more than one of those elbow drops? No, never, never. Just needed one. I mean, two max crafties, that's all I'm saying. Like, don't be the fool whose opening hand is like three Jon Snows and you basically like all dressed up and nowhere to mm. be, right? Mm. All right. So, yeah, green, <laughs> tier one, lots of options, solid deck. All right dragons blue red dragons after we've had some time it was the go-to it was the number one this yeah. is going to be the meta what is it right now do you think do you like what i did there what is it i missed it at first but i i appreciate it cgb what prismari indeed cgb well i think at the beginning of the format it was more like a 55 percent, 60 percent deck now i just think it's like straight 50 percent I think that is it with its best draws is unbeatable and with its average draws is just totally 50%. It can look real embarrassing. It definitely has some bad matchups. It has a bad mono green matchup in particular, which I think is a very strong reason to consider not playing it. I think it has a fair matchup against most of the rest of the decks in the format. Maybe I'm missing a something like a Demir control, which is good against it or something, but that's kind of my assessment. Yeah, what do you think? So... The way that the meta has moved, I think everybody woke up ready for Goldspan Dragon after day one, you know, and for a long time, you just had to yep. be ready for Goldspan Dragon. Like Soul Shatter was suddenly a, a very craftable card, you know what I mean? Or you had to play really low to the ground yep. stuff to take advantage of the fact that Goldspan Dragon isn't good when it's blocking, you know, it has to attack. Yep. So everybody was like thinking about that matchup and the deck had a really hard time. I think that things have gone far enough around the circle of life, the circle of meta life, that people aren't as concerned about Goldspan Dragon. Mm -hmm. I have played so many decks where I'm like thinking a lot about handling the aggro matchups and handling the treasure matchups. And then my opponent plays like turn one, what is that, Volatile Fjord? And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> I am cold like a snow yeah. land to a yeah. saw it coming in a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> you look at your keep and you're like, oh, oh man, <laughs> that has happened yeah. to me enough times now, even when playing like yeah. more aggressive decks like Gruel and some of the other things I've been trying. I, I think that the meta has gone far enough that it's a real player now, but I think that people still try to get really greedy with that deck. Why are they running Galazeth Prismari in, in the deck when it can't have like Maze Mind Tome or doesn't make any artifacts at all? Like, why do we want to tap out for a four mana three four? with the tiniest little bit of upside ramp. 
on turn four with that deck? I don't know. I see it everywhere. The only thing that I can think of, which is sweet when it goes off, is you combine it with unexpected windfall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I mean, that's like an instant, you know? And like, that, that's what I want to do yeah. on turn four. It is very much kind yeah. of, you know what it is? It's Simic Flash. Remember Simic Flash with Nissa? That's exactly what this deck yes. is. <laughs> we, we don't want to tap yeah. out on turn four. We don't have a Nightpack Ambusher. God, I wish we did. But Galazeth Prismari is not Nightpack Ambusher. So we don't want to be tapping out on turn four. No. Uh, we need to be reacting. Yeah. And then you drop your Nissa and you untap your land and make two mana and you use that mana to protect it. Like my revisiting of is it dragons so far has been like everything is two mana. Everything after foretell, at least, you know, like I just don't want to play yeah. Prismari command, maybe one or two, but not that many. And I don't want to play Galazeth and unexpected windfall. I'm still really skittish about, but maybe I could give it a try. But I like Behold the Multiverse better. And I'm just trying to make sure that oh, I also don't run Imrith. I, I really just want the gold spans. Like Goldspan is the only worthy dragon yeah. for me right now because everybody's figured out how to answer those dragon cards pretty effectively. I agree with you. I think the core of the deck is still cheap interaction, counter spells, gold span dragon, Allerin's Epiphany. That is the deck. That's how you win with the deck. I think if you're messing around too much with um, the six mana hasty dragon, or yeah, Imrith, or trying to do cute stuff with Galazeth and unexpected windfall and stuff, I think you're kind of missing the point of the deck. I mean, not that those experimentations aren't sweet, not that you can't have a lot of fun doing that if that's what you want to do, but I totally agree, man. Like, keep it lean, keep it mean, play mostly cheap cards, you know, maneuver the game state to where your opponent's tapped out or whatever, you know, build up enough mana and then just drop the dragon, drop the epiphanies, take turns and win. I still feel like it has the best of one problem of having the wrong cards at the wrong time, where it would be a tier one best of three deck. And I think it's a tier two best of one deck. That's the way it makes sense to me. Yeah. But I do think it's a very defendable choice right now because people are kind of, they figured out the main meta and they're brewing a little or they're trying to answer specifically green and the creature decks and how do you like your is it dragons deck with your uh, cyclone summoner ramp deck for example it's a 50 50 match yeah I mean, you're yeah, not happy it's... though right you're not like pumping the fist no, i'm not licking my you know lips. you know yeah. at some point in that matchup you're going to be playing something for six or seven mana and hoping they don't have saw it coming right and that's always a scary moment Yes, it's actually so I think that I gained a lot of equity with the Simic deck once I I just got better at playing it and I got better at playing the matchups. And what I learned to do was to just focus on ramping and then getting in with creature lands and forcing my Izzet opponent to like deal with that because they really, you know, they know that they're playing against a deck that can like cast multiple powerful spells in the same turn. So they're not getting aggro with their goldspan dragons usually when they play against the simic deck they're like taking it easy and trying to play control in the game and so you punish them by just winding up that's got to be a mistake though right i think that has to be a mistake yeah so here's here's the thing okay this is where it gets like kind of um what's the term i'm going for it's like the double agent crossing the double agent okay. is that so i'll leave up mana because I'm trying to play around their counter magic, right? So what I'm doing is I'm leaving up, let's say, um, Eureka moment, or it's looking like it's going to be their gold span turn. So I'm leaving up divide by zero. So then, you know, they see my open mana. They're not going to play into me, right? So then they do nothing. And then I untap. I don't want to play into their counter magic. So we're kind of at this impasse. And so then how I exploit that is just by, you know, firing up my, you know, one of my creature lands and leaving up interaction. So yeah, it feels to me that like just thinking about the deck list the way that i know them and this is this is where knowing the meta comes in because random person on ladder probably doesn't play against simic ramp or talk about it very much but the deck lists as yeah. i would expect them tell me i'm just supposed to slam into your open man as the dragons player which is a very weird role for the dragons deck but i mean if you have divide by zero i've got to get mm -hmm. it out of the way like i can't just sit there staring at my gold span dragon waiting for this beautiful window of things to come together against your deck like that doesn't make sense to me no you're right and especially since like it's a cardinal rule of magic that the player whose plan is smaller needs to push in the in the early to mid yep. game yeah right because you know you look at inevitability and whichever deck has inevitability is the deck that can get 
to just sit back and play the long game, right? And so, yeah, in that matchup, the is it list is definitely the aggro, and they definitely do need to be pushing. Okay, so yeah. Anyway, maybe that'll make those matchups you have with the dragons deck even more interesting. I, I do that does sound like a fun matchup. Like I would sleeve up and play some of that right now. <laughs> It is it is really fun, very interesting games, a lot of mind games, and definitely one of those matchups where you make one wrong move and you lose. So All yeah, right. very, very fun stuff. So the black white treasure deck. I, I made that video. It got around. Other people have played it. They've played a lot of types of it. Like there's a lot of mono black, there's a lot of Golgari, but I mean really any deck that starts with I Twitch, Shambling Gas, Deadly Dispute, and has some planeswalkers like Lolth or Kaya and Blood on the Snow. I just call them like yep. the treasure decks, right? How do you rate these decks? And I I do want to hear like what do you think their biggest weaknesses are or like what do you do with that? Before you rate it, I'm gonna say I was really proud of this for no real reason other than I just like having these things to say mtg arena zone had the black white orzov blood money mid-range deck as like a tier two or something for a long time they updated like a few days ago and moved it to tier one just saying just saying dude okay there's a lot of things we could talk about because i do i think this is currently the most variation in the matter is like what do you put in your orzov snow deck you know what are you playing with your treasure package because so this is the thing, Crafties, we had the adventure package in the last format, and we've moved to the treasure package. So I think you would agree with me, CGB, that we have officially created like a little, it's a little coven of cards that you're now just going to like try in many, many yep. different shells. And it's basically what you outlined. It's it's the merchant and the deadly dispute and um, the one one, etc. I'm bad at remembering card names. I twitch, shambling gas, blood in the snow, and some planeswalkers. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's that really is like the package. Or you could take like you could take the foundational package of the cheaper creatures and then combine it with the dragon and then gold spend dragon and then you have like more of a Rakdos treasure thing. So that's a thing too. So I'll, I'll tell a little story time. I was really worried with the Simic list against my matchup with your Blood Money deck because in initial testing, it was looking really bad. I made some tweaks to the deck, which I think do give it a better matchup. But it's funny because so I've been playing on the ladder lately and I've been crushing. I've been absolutely crushing these Blood on the Snow decks. And I was like, wow, I'm doing a lot better than I thought I was going to be doing. Like, is this actually just a really good matchup for me? And then this is what I realized, CGB, is they're not playing your Blood Money deck. Nope, they're not. Ah. <laughs> so I don't know who it was, probably a some hive mind thing came up with an alternate version of the deck, which I think is like a whole tier worse than your Thanks. deck. So I think if anyone was paying attention to your Blood Money deck, they would figure out that like the whole deck is designed to make Kaya good. Like the whole game plan of the Blood Money deck, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole game plan of the deck is to just like you cast Kaya, it dies. You cast another Kaya, it dies. You bring it back with Blood on the Snow, it dies. Maybe at some point you get the lesson from your sideboard that brings it back. Or with your second Blood on the Snow, you get Kaya back again. Eventually you ultimate Kaya. That's how you win the game, right? Mm -hmm. So what I've been seeing is that people have been playing a version of the deck where they're like, oh, Lolth is a good Planeswalker. Why don't we just put in some Lolths? And then we'll put in like a couple of Onyxes at the top end. And that's just got to be better than Kaya, right? Like those Planeswalkers are just better than Kaya. And yes, in a vacuum, they totally are. But in that deck, no, they are not. So did I get it right, CGD? Yeah, I think so. I would just throw in there. It's not, it's about making Kaya good. It's also about the creatures around Kaya getting those ghost form counters and that being good. Yes. Which it's way better than it was in the last format. It's definitely underappreciated. People don't know how to play against it. And a lot of times there's no good way to play against it. So yeah, a version went around called that got labeled uh, Orzov Control and it runs like combinations of Lolth and Kaya. It runs Doomscar. It has some other things the big cut for me is elite spellbinder and i'm like i know that and kaya is no. splinter twin baby that is how it's done dude that was my realization was that the reason i was beating that deck was that they weren't running elite spellbinder crafty is i think if you're running white in this format you run elite spellbinder period full stop like Period. I don't care if you're running a control deck, you run Elite Spellbinder. It is one of the best cards in the format. 
That's I'm I'm staking my reputation on that as well. Yeah, I buy it. That card is an absolute killer, especially on the play. Absolutely wrecks all kinds of strategies. All the foretell cards, like All Runs Epiphany, so much worse when they get nailed yeah. by Elite Spellbinder. All the Planeswalkers, the Blood on the Snows. Like the spells in this format are expensive. The creatures are often cheap, but the spells are very expensive. So every time you hit yeah. an expensive spell, it's like removing it from the game forever. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. So I think in the early weeks of the format, like when mono green was big and when like these white aggro decks were really big, then I think people were kind of low on Spellbinder because yeah, I mean, it gets worse against cheaper cards, definitely. But once this kind of mid-range snow plan starts to be a thing, like yeah, nabbing your opponent's blood on the snow, nabbing your opponent's Kaya, yeah, nabbing an Auron's Epiphany that they didn't have time to foretell, it can just be a total game ender. And I find that the games that I lose the most play anything except like a mono green deck in the format or where my opponent just goes spellbinder into spellbinder and that's it's just usually game over at that point what do you think about the versions that don't run white because that's the weird thing we've got that package that we talked about it's mostly black i do think Mm -hmm. kaya and spellbinder and then you also get banishing verse like if you are sweaty try hard it's hard to beat that combination of cards but Mm -hmm. i mean people are doing golgari with binding the old gods and skeleton swarming is kind of Oh, I hate that card so much, but people love that card. And I feel like I have to keep proving that it's bad. So every time I play against it, I'm like, all right, I have to win. I cannot lose. Presses on. <laughs> but people love that card and yeah. you see it. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like, have you seen like the discard versions? Because that was a version I built to prey on the original that just ran Inscription of Ruin and a lot of discard cards. I found the discard version to be very strong, specifically against the Simic Ramp, because one of the easiest ways to lose in Simic Ramp is you just like flood out and don't have a lot of card advantage. So they make you discard all of your haymakers, your expensive cards that you don't have time to cast, and then you're just top decking, and half of your top decks are like lands and dogs and stuff, and you just kind of lose. I think the discard version is actually real, and yeah, I could imagine it being really, really good in like in the mirror against the more traditional version of the deck. Um, seems really solid to me, and just blood on the snow to get back another discarder is can just be really backbreaking. So yeah, I, I think that that's real. Like that deck has impressed me so far. I don't know though, like how does it do against like mono green for example against mono green you really do need to cast your blood on the snow so i hope you drew shambling gas <laughs> yeah. and deadly dispute like you draw it up because that's the an, another interesting feature of this format like everybody ramps yeah if your deck doesn't ramp at all it's it's like a bad esper control deck and even then you could call foretell is kind of a ramp in a way like mm-hmm. you spend two mana on an early turn to save mana on a future turn so everybody who's not like pure aggro in this format ramps to some degree and it's kind of absurd that your control deck can have turn one shambling gas, turn two deadly dispute, turn three, you could have a Kaya or you could have a gold span dragon. It's like something's mm-hmm. coming. It's kind of crazy mm-hmm. that way. But yeah, I would say, let's see, in my experience playing Golgari, I think it's just not good enough. I have found Golgari to be inconsistent. I've also found that I think having a board presence trumps not having a board presence. Okay, so in the regular standard format, a card like Binding the Old Gods can actually be pretty good because it can do stuff like it can kill your opponent's Great Henge and then, you know, you can Wrath the board and it just, it lines up a little bit better with the things that are good in that format. But in this format, it's kind of like, let's say you're playing against these Blood on the Snow decks. Like, what are you doing with your Binding? Are you killing your opponent's Merchant? Like, lol? That just doesn't do anything i think most people get excited to kill the kaya or the wolf and then she's back (laughs) it's just not that big of a deal right like people who play those planeswalkers already got their money and just like you said they're gonna get their money again so yeah i think that binding is a really bad card in the format right now it's just also not good against aggro you're spending four mana to kill their like two to three mana card kind of amazing that that's true actually because i think a lot of people thought binding was gonna just be a rock in the format i think it's like one of the better cards in the format it's just that it's funny like i i think of this as a format of like people are playing a bunch of cards that really aren't that powerful (laughs) but they just yeah they synergize well how about this binding is one of the best cards in the format and one of the worst cards in the meta that's exactly it. You summed it up perfectly, right? I think it's just kind of like that. Like when I go down the Golgari list, like for example, how much Shadows Verdict are you seeing in the meta right now? I, I haven't seen that card in like 
a week or something. Yeah, all the decks that would run it also want to run cheap black creatures and possibly get them back sometimes. So it cannibalizes itself. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that the head to head has proven that even playing a control deck, you still want to have creatures on the board. You don't want to be one of these people who's trying to keep the board clear because there are just there are too many creature lands. Yep. Green has some good haste creatures. It's just, you know, the other like the more controlly decks don't care. So it's basically like, yeah, I think that in this format, like you need to get on the board somehow. And if if you're trying to play like a counter spell wrath game, you're just going to get overrun, in my opinion. The creature lands, I feel like, were one of the definitive things about the format that everybody had them and had a lot of them pretty much from early on. And yeah, yeah chump blocking was suddenly required. You can't just sweep the board. You have to sweep the board and block. Absolutely. Now, here, however, is a combo that I'm surprised I haven't seen more. Have you tried running Burning Rune Demon in any of your Blood on the Snow decks? No, I haven't i've if i have a six mana card it's always been professor onyx like to go with the blood on the snow because i'm just worried about the cost Mm -hmm. but i I mean that is a curious one because i think about getting it back with blood on the snow i think about putting a ghost form on it with kaya that's what i'm saying sounds pretty fun (laughs) it sounds pretty dope Think about this, like you wrath the board, you get back a six six flyer by the way, and then that card gets you like the worst of the two best cards in your deck, right? And then the thing is that they also put whichever the other one was in the graveyard, and you might get to reanimate that card with your next Blood on the Snow. Like, think about the example where, like, you Blood on the Snow, you get back your demon, you select two Planeswalkers, one of them's going in the yard, and you're going to get it back, right? So I don't know what you cut to make room for it, right? That's probably the biggest question, is that you're already running, like, a bunch of expensive cards, but... If it were me, it's not really the style of deck I enjoy playing, but if I was playing one of these Blood on the Snow decks, I would definitely be finding room for at least one of those. I was about to say, have you tried it? But I should know better. (laughs) I should know better, Simic Mage. (laughs) I actually, um, I did try it in my Golgari control deck. So... Here was the wombo combo, because you know me, Kovac Go Blue, I like a good squeeze, right? I like making a series of plays that make my opponent go, oh my god, I will never win this game, right? So for me, my favorite thing to do was to put down Burning Rune Demon, and my two selections were Harness Infinity and Bala Ged Recovery. And I was like, I'm getting it, baby. I'm getting it, whether you want me to or not. Wow. So your six mana play sets up a seven mana play that draws like seven or more cards. That's what I'm talking about. That's extra. That is extra. I'm uh, I'm surprised that that's not more up your alley, CGB. I don't know, man. I, I like having options and open mana every now and then <laughs> on my turns. I You know, I like playing around stuff. I, I don't like always presenting the big questions. I like presenting the right answers. There you go. See, leave it up to Arjuna to play a control deck, which is basically just like a thinly veiled, like go over the top, crush your soul in one turn deck, you know? I mean, Ultimatum is just such a perfect deck for me, man. I I love decks where people think that you're playing reactively, and then the next turn you're like, no, I have the biggest creature on the board, I'm going to (laughs) win. Yeah, it's it's always right up your alley until it's cool, and then you've got to dump it and go find (laughs) something janky to do. (laughs) <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> you would hate this Cyclone Summoner deck if more people had picked it up by now. Probably. I probably would. There are two people who are consistently like top 150 Mythic who I play almost every day who are on Simic. Okay, that's good to know. There's some interesting builds too. Like they'll test of talent me multiple times. Ooh. You know, they'll inscription yeah. of... What's the blue inscription? The blue one? Yeah. Insight? Oh, Insight. Yeah, yeah, well done. They'll inscription of Insight kicker me three turns in a row, you know? Yeah, that <laughs> that card does snowball very nicely. I will say that. Some people are believers, and they are doing really well with it, and more people could probably stand to play that deck. Yep. Are you still on the chariot for the flex spots? Yes. Double chariot is just absolutely gas in that deck. Did you see my uh, my Naya deck? Yeah, you were at that stream. Was that the, uh, what, Druid class deck? Yeah, Druid class deck. That's it. Naya yeah. Druid class. It's basically a chariot deck. Don't tell anyone. Dude, I think that deck's really sweet. I actually played against it on the ladder recently. I did win, but it was one of the decks that gave me this the most this feeling of like, wow, this deck's actually going to go over the top of me if I'm not careful. 
like that deck can generate the kind of advantage that no deck could come back from. It really can just chain off spitting out two or three lands a turn until it has like 20 lands and then it makes two 2020s with haste on the same turn and swings. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it is one of the most fun decks I've played. How, like, do you think that it's just kind of a jank deck or do you think that that deck could be tier? The hard thing about it is it's a very, when confronted with pressure from green, white, something like that, it really only has a game plan. It doesn't have flexibility. Mm, It's really hard to win if you don't doom scar because otherwise you're just hoping that like somehow you chariot and mascot exhibition before they run you over. Yeah. And it's really hard to play chariot from behind. If you play against any kind of a control, like mid range to control. And I don't know, they're not like some kind of a recursive mega graveyard deck like uh, Hoffrey is a card that gave me a hard time. Hoffrey and Aura from the Clerics, right? I told you, I told you Hoffrey was going to come for you, man. (laughs) There's always one. But anyway, like the deck's only interaction-esque is Shatter Skulls smashing and Doomscar. So it's not going to exile any, you know? So its game plan is just narrow. But if your opponent is trying to react to you at all, you can just drive them insane because the bard class turns on these lands that are just giant monsters the asika's chariot is making creatures attacking with creatures minsk if you drop a minsk with like 15 mana on the board who is getting some you know it's kind of absurd how much damage the thing can just start throwing at you turn after turn after turn It's, it's really fun it's a fun deck and showdown of the skulls is a really it's a tough weapon to wield but decks that wield it well it is a hell of a magic card so one of my favorite things about that deck is it i almost feel like you're doing a teamer adventure impression right with with your druid class is that you get to like exile a bunch of cards off the top of your deck and then like play all of the lands right should we introduce druid class i feel like we're talking about this like it's a known entity but it's only been out for like three days i like played it and made a video with it and some people may not have watched it <laughs> all right take take us through this card yeah druid class is the one in a green class and its main mode is whenever you play a land you gain a life so right there you've got a little bit of gains to keep you alive and let you take some beatings its second mode is for two in a green you can now play an additional land every turn so now you can you know and that's nice. You gain a life for each land and you can play two lands a turn. In this format, it's really hard to keep the land flowing. Like there's not a lot of efficient card draw, but with Showdown of the Skulls specifically, it's pretty common to exile more than one land. And if you can yeah. play like two or three lands over the turn after you play the Showdown, like you really get your money's worth. And then the last level on Druid class is for four and a green. Target land becomes an XX creature with haste. Uh, that is still land, and X is equal to the number of lands you control. The deck runs, I think it's like 29 land, if you count, like, it runs four Amiria's Calls and four Shatter Skull Smashings, like, all these modal lands, so that when you get in the late game, you can cast the spell side. And it also has four field trips, it has three copies of Yasharn, which fetches a plains and a, a forest when it enters a battlefield, so it just hits an absurd amount of land drops and makes giant monsters with the Druid class and just swings over and crushes you. The Yasharn is sweet. Because Yasharn turns off the treasure deck, which yep. nobody is nobody is ready for. Yep. <laughs> With Yasharn on the board, you can't sacrifice a treasure. Neither player can do it. And it doesn't get hit by vanishing verse, right? So That's right. Yeah, like you you need some real removal to get rid of that thing too. Yeah, that's totally sweet, man. Oh man, the number of times I have like cast it and then my opponent on end step like or after a chump block tries to cast their deadly dispute. Yep. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know for sure they have deadly dispute. They just have two open mana and they're just sitting there. Mousing over, you know, that card's yeah. just lighting yep. up. <laughs> yep, their cards are just lighting up over and over and they're just sitting there and they're like, what is happening? Or my favorite uh, is when they attack with their gold span dragon and then you see them like trying to activate their treasures because they want to play their all runs epiphany, but they can't. Oh they they can't God, do it. Dude. They don't have the mana. <laughs> they got a pass and now they're dead. <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. It's It really is the ultimate troll in this format specifically. Yeah, the pig gets the money, man. Yeah. I, it's actually beautiful. It's a wonderful feeling that you can only really get with a Yasharn deck. And this is the best Yasharn deck, in my opinion, by a mile, because you make so much use of all the mana. 
I agree. And I think one of the things that you have indirectly highlighted here, but which I want to come back to, and again, it's one of the reasons I keep harping on the Simic deck, but it's one of the reasons I think it's one of the best decks in the format. Mana advantage really matters in this format. That's why you were talking about ramp. Like people are playing treasure, people are playing ramp in all of these various forms. And like the person who gets to untap with a bunch of lands and like multi spell and like play some powerful six drops and stuff like that is generally the person winning the game. And I just, I can't stress this enough, Crafties. Like, I think one of the understated reasons why CGB's Naya deck is winning more games is just that he's probably ending up with like, you know, 40 to 60% more mana than his opponents. And he's just using that mana. And the way that magic works is that the player who spends more mana tends to win, especially when there isn't a lot of like really good, like counter spell or like super cheap effective removal which we don't have in this format so in lieu of that like because we don't have like a rogues deck say or you know a really lean and mean like red aggro deck with Embercleave and stuff because of that we end up in this more mid-rangey format where the player who spends more mana generally wins so i think that that's something you should really be thinking about in any deck except like your go wide mono white deck for example or like you know like even like you said in green like you have to be thinking about like how do I generate some kind of a, a mana advantage? It's one of the reasons I like Jon Snow, right? It's because it gives you a mana advantage. So I think that's one of the big questions in the format, in my opinion. What do you think about that? No, I think that you're right in the matchups where, like you mentioned, you know, Mono White tries to get around that by just playing its cards as fast as possible and winning. And there's always a deck like that. But I think it's one of the reasons control decks have such a hard time. Yes. Like traditional control has a really hard time because everybody's ramping and it's hard to get that mana advantage. I have had a ton of success with an Esper control list that's just, it looks like a very old school control list. We just have the best cheap removal spells, the best sweeper. The card draw that's like scry to the bottom, draw two, behold the multiverse. And then we play all runs Epiphany and Planeswalkers. And it just doesn't look like anything special. Even though I'm, I win a good amount and it does well. Whenever I'm playing it, I just feel like I gave myself a handicap. I, I don't have free mana lying around. I'm not doing like absurd over the top powerful things. I'm just, I don't know. Feels very medium. And you know, I love control deck. <laughs> You know, if there's one person I know who loves, like, crushing with medium decks, it's you, CGB. Ah, man. Well, you know. <laughs> content, baby. <laughs> I think that the true test of the modern content creator for Magic the Gathering is how much crushing they can do with medium decks. I agree. I mean, it highlights your skill at the game, man. You know, anyone can win with, like, the, to the top tier, tier one deck, right? But if you can pick up, like, a bit more of a random list and still win, yeah, that's some real skill. It doesn't mean I'm going to make you like your cleric class good, though. Those of you out there getting ideas, you're going to send me your bad decks and be like, make this card good. It's my favorite. And I'm still going to say, no, nah, no, nah. <laughs> there's got to be something there to begin with, you know? Yep. Yep. Okay. So we could say more about this format, but I think it's getting to be about time to wrap it up. Here's, so what I would like to do before we go CGB, can we create at the moment anyway, somewhat definitive tier list for the format? Mm, try. I mean, yeah. there's there's a ton of decks, but yeah, I, I'm I'm down for that. How you want to play it? Let's just try to go. How about this? We'll kind of do a little rehash in a in a sped up version of what we did earlier in the program, and see if we have any final thoughts. So we, we can just like list the archetype. We'll each say what tier we think it's in. Sound good? Okay, let's go. Okay, so mono green. I think solidly tier one. Solid one. Okay, absolutely. I'm gonna stake my claim on Simic. I think it is either tier one or tier 1.5. What about you? I'm, I, I won't be offended. I won't be offended, bro. Mm, I, I'm still going to go with a two. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Now it's going to be hard to classify all of these. So I'm just going to say like Ozov blood on the snow decks of which I think that your original or some version very close to your original blood money build is the best deck. And, and I think that that deck is tier one as well. Yeah, I give that one a one. I, I give a, most of the offshoots, though, a two or a lower, quite honest. So do you agree with me that something very close to that original build is the best version? Yes. Okay. Playing Kaya, crafties, like play Kaya in that deck. Okay. And then I'm trying to think about, in my opinion, those are the archetypes that I think are in the running for tier one. Are there any other decks you can think of that are in the running for tier one? I wish I could say dragons, 
I've said it a number of times, but I think is it if it has sideboard it would be tier one. But so it's right yes. there to me. Yes, it's right there. I think is it in best of one is solidly tier two in my opinion. Yeah, I think anytime you see that deck though, you're probably like, uh oh. Yeah, <laughs> like, like you have to respect it at all times. So it can always win. Yeah, I also think solidly tier two right now is the mono white go wide deck. I do think that if you're metagaming, I think if you're metagaming and you're willing to switch up your list, I think you could probably get up to like 1.5. Yeah, that's that's where I am with mono white. Yeah, I'll stick with a two on mono white. I've also found Rakdos lists of any variety to be at best tier two, but usually tier three. Yeah, in the beginning, I had higher hopes for the deck, but once I found Blood Money as just a better grind, I'm going to tier three for that. We didn't talk about this one, though. I think the Mardu Sacrifice deck is significantly better than any Rakdos. I I think the Exodus version is a solid tier 1.5. Like, Mm, it's a very scary deck. This has been my experience with that deck, is when they Blood Avatar me on turn three, I usually lose, and when they don't do that, I usually win. Yeah, it has this explosive potential with Blood Avatar and Goldspan and showdown that the other decks don't really have so it's not draw is scarier than most another card i've found where it's bark feels worse than its bite to me is orcus yeah it's a card which consistently does powerful things when it resolves but i just keep tending to win those games anyway yep agreed and then control is there any control deck in this format that you think is better than tier three i'm going to talk about demir control because i still play against it every day Mm-hmm. I think that deck is tier three. And I think it's among like the best that control can do in a traditional control sense. And when I say traditional control, I mean bunch of removal spells, bunch of counter spells, no board presence, win some. I just don't think, why would you play that when like you can play value creatures that are better than the removal spells, like Professor of Symbology, like the Blood Merchant. We talked about Elite Spellbinder teaming up with Kaya. Like teaming these cards up with Kaya is so much better than like trying to use removal spells in this format. Yep, totally agree. Okay, any other decks or archetypes that you want to discuss? Your deck with Skeletal Swarming, it's it's F tier. Yeah. You, yes, you listener. <laughs> F. I'm, I'm, F. I'm not. Nope. Nope, you get an F, we're uh, moving on. <laughs> couldn't agree more. Also, notably absent from our discussions today is Mono Red. That's because I'm just going to say it for both of us. We both think that that deck sucks. I had a good record with that deck on Ladder, which was kind of insanely silly. But yeah, uh, Goblins with a bunch of burn actually maybe Tier 3. But worse than so many of the other aggro decks, why would you do it? Would you agree with me that that two-drop goblin is, like, by far the best card in the deck? (laughs) By a mile. Yeah. The Battlecry Goblin, what a mythic grizzly bear that is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That that, that guy's just like, no bone crusher, let's go. (laughs) Let's go. I'll tell you what, Crafties, that is like a haymaker in search of a chin to land on, man. Like, if we get just a couple more good cards, that could start to be a real deck for sure. Yep. Agreed. Full agree. All right. Well, that's where we're going to put the cap on it for today. We'll continue to report back on this format. We might not have any other massive revelations until actual rotation, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure CGB and I will continue to be playing it. In the meantime, crafties, you can always find us on Spotify or any of your usual podcatcher platforms. If you're an audio listener, you can always watch the video version on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel, vice versa. If you're a video watcher, you can always take us on the road with you via any of the platforms that I mentioned earlier. You can also find both of us streaming on Twitch throughout the week, Covert Go Blue, very regularly at twitch.tv forward slash Covert Go Blue, me somewhat less regularly at Twitch Arena Craft Pod cast we also have a patreon which is very very key to some of our recent expansions so thank you very much crafties for supporting our patreon it means a lot to get that cash every month it really helps us to pay for our wonderful editors bottle brush fernando they're the people who actually do the hard work to make this podcast digestible and uh yeah Kovaco blue i feel like next time we chat we'll probably be covering some more spoilers or maybe doing a little bit more historic discussion. Um, and in the meantime, CGB, don't get hit by lightning, bro. Dude, I can't take another three to the face, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty low. I'm pretty low. I can't take another three. But uh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for all the support. I'm glad we still got to do this. Later. 
Crafties. Later, Crafties. <laughs> <laughs>